Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. Last time I checked, I am Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner Ravinder awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Emphasis on that forward slash or she throws dirty looks at me. We do have a great chat room, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. I never throw you dirty looks. They're always loving looks. That's all there is. But yes, we have a fabulous chat room, a great group of people. Um, Today we have Andrea manning the chat room. She's greeting everyone as they come in and... uh, yeah, keeping a check on the conversation. So do come on in. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Hey, I miss you, Andrea. Just for the record. In this week's spotlight, I wish to discuss the nature of choice. My New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions, was just released as an audio program. So I have the book in the very front of my mind. Paraphrased, Krishnamurti said, Choice is an illusion. Do I do this? Do I do that? All of this is confusion. I can only choose when I'm confused. When I know clearly there is no choice. Think about that for a minute. Thirty years ago, Benjamin Libet showed that there is activity in the subconscious within milliseconds before a conscious thought occurs. In other words, our so-called conscious thoughts are given us by our subconscious. Further, recent fMRI studies have shown that not only does the subconscious feed our thoughts and choices, but a technician watching the brain lifetime, making a decision, will know what we are going to decide several seconds before we do. Indeed, we have enjoyed several conversations on this show with medical specialists and other experts who have repeatedly informed us that not only does the subconscious do the real thinking, but because of this, free will is, in the words of Professor Schwab, a grand illusion. Now, people everywhere want to know how to improve their lives. Typically, they believe that if they had more money, more power, more success, and better relationships, then they would be happy. Because of such beliefs, the world is full of fixers. There is a motivational guru on every corner, and there's no shortage of people waiting to spend their time and money on learning the secrets to success. In a sense, I suppose, I'm not that much different. However, after more than 30 years of working with individuals in emotional distress, people seeking inner peace, athletes looking to win gold medals, sports organizations seeking to win championships, ordinary people trying to find a place in this world, and so on, I have learned this. 
the model most used to live by is all wrong. All wrong. It's not about what we get. It's about what we give. Imagine, imagine this, if you will, for a moment. You're visiting New York City for the first time. You're amazed at the skyline, all of those immensely tall buildings. You visit a beautiful area of high-rise condominiums. These are truly luxurious condos, all with balconies suspended above the sidewalk. It's a glorious day. The sun is out, and the slight breeze you feel is warm and comforting. The air is unusually fresh for any part of the world, and you're simply walking, taking in the sights and sounds, and enjoying the day to its fullest. It's New York. It's a dream come true for you. And you've heard stories about this grand city. It's light and bright and pleasant, and you walk on thinking of all that you'll tell your friends when you get back home. Now suddenly, from a third-floor balcony above you, a flower pot falls and slams onto your head. The pot is deflected onto the sidewalk and shatters. You're not seriously hurt, but your head is hurting. You feel a bulge building into a rather large knot on top of your noggin. Your scalp has a nasty abrasion, that burns a little when you touch it, and on your hand is a small amount of blood. The suddenness and pain have raised your adrenaline level. That old fight-flight mechanism has kicked in and the neurochemicals are flowing. Anger begins to arise, and you have some choices. Let's think about that and explore some possibilities. Possibilities given me over many years of lecturing. You could go up to that third-floor condo and shove you-know-what where. You might get there only to discover that the owner is a defensive linebacker for some professional football team and his biceps are larger than your waist. In that case, you might then change your plan. What else could you do? Some might think of this as an opportunity. I'll sue this fat cat. Anyone who puts a flower pot too close to the edge of the balcony railing, just waiting to fall on someone, should be educated. What if it had fallen on a small child or a baby in a buggy passing under the balcony? Suing will be a quickie. They'll settle out of court. That'll teach them to be more careful in the future. Concussion and whiplash, I wonder what those are worth. What else could you do? Well, some might think the incident was a sign from the gods. It's time to be metaphysical. After all, the blow might have delivered enlightenment, and I'm not going to let it fool with my wonderful day. It might even be like one of those lightning strikes in which the person struck gains special metaphysical or parapsychological abilities, like John Travolta in the movie Phenomena. Such a person can do or solve almost anything. It's like instantly acquiring the knowledge of the universe. What else could you do? William James is credited with coining the term pragmatic. What is pragmatic? In our instance, it is simply responding to the stimuli in a manner that works for you. What would work best for you? 
What if you picked up the flower off the hot sidewalk and took it to a florist for repotting? What if you selected a very nice pot, had the plant repotted, and then returned it to the owner with an explanation of why it was in a new pot? I mean, think of it. You could say something like this. Your flower pot fell from your balcony and hit me on the head. The pot smashed against the sidewalk, so I took the beautiful flower to the florist and had it repotted for you. Here it is. I hope you like the new pot. Imagine the look on the owner's face. Think of the other three alternatives we presented. The metaphysical isn't that denial. I'm going to put it you know where isn't that get even. You know, once I told this story to a host of a Detroit radio station, Drive Time Talk Radio. And when I did, he said, I'm going to take the first and the second. I'm going to do both. Well, now think about that. When it's all said and done, how are you going to feel? Of all the things you might do, what do you think would make you feel the best? Of all the things you might do, what do you think would change those neurochemicals from fight flight to growth and pleasure? Which choice would serve you the best? The answer is obvious. Repot the flower. Imagine how you feel when you put your head on the pillow at night and you think back to the expression of the owner when you return that pot. But since it's so obvious, why wasn't it recognized right away? Here is my point. In a scenario such as our flower pot story, and believe me, we all have similar scenarios like the person who cuts us off in traffic or pushes into a line in front of those already queued up, why do we fail to see the obvious and instead choose the lesser? When the obvious should be so clear as to render the notion of choice unto the canvas of Krishnamurti, that of no choice, why is it so many of us fail to even recognize the alternative? The person that cuts into line in front of you, smile at him and say, that's all right, if you're in such a hurry, you can get in front of me and watch how quickly say, oh, was this a lie? I didn't mean to do that, and return to the back of the line. How many ways are there to be positive in our lives, put a smile on our face, and change those neurochemicals so that they support the optimal operation of our systems, our growth. In the new audio release of Choices and Illusions, the reason so many fail, together with the methods and means to correct this, and all of the other alienating, self-alienating, foibles, most of us find ourselves perpetuating and repeating, are spelled out in a straightforward, step-by-step -step way. Still, if you never listen to or read the book, know this. It is always a matter of what you give and not what you take that defines the pivot point between success and failure, happiness and sadness. What's more, if you are ever truly to enjoy anything like free will, you're going to have to retrain your own biocomputer that subconscious mind. My thoughts anyway, what are yours, Ravinder? You know, I'm actually finding it all very fascinating. I'm thinking about, you know, 
my own experiences in reading choices and that particular story, the flower pot story, you have that's you know amongst the stories that is in there, and I've realised you know the book really is um, a process, and I've been living that process for a while now, and I can see all the places where I do choose differently or I choose to react differently. I'm doing more and more of that. It's an onward, you know, it's the type of thing that goes on for forever but I, I can see the benefits in my life in so many directions so I'm looking forward to talking more about the book alright great okay every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful last week our show featured Dr. Norm Sheely and we discussed holistic healing Sam wrote I love Dr. Sheely I immediately ordered his new book thank you for the great guests Tommy wrote, I heard you speak about scalers. The only thing I have heard about them is bad. Can they really be used to heal? The answer, Tommy, in one word is yes. In short, Tommy, scalar energy are waves of energy called longitudinal EM, EM for electromagnetism, to distinguish them from transverse EM, the kind we are familiar with in our daily life, which power our cell phones and pagers, television and radio broadcasts, microwave ovens, and so on. The new field of scalar electromagnetics is a discovery that time itself is compressed energy, compressed by the factor of the speed of light squared, or so it's asserted. Purportedly, this energy can be used to carry very specific frequency patterns that can support or interfere with the optimal operation of our physiological systems. There's a lot of work out there on scalars, some of it by former intelligence people. Um, It's worth taking a good look at. All right, CB commented, getting deep, bringing up scalar energy. I'm wondering if an intention has to be associated with the frequency or if the frequency alone works. Based on my understanding, CB, if you have the frequency pattern, your intention is in that frequency pattern. If it's intended to interrupt the operation of your nervous system, say as arguably was done by the Soviets during the Cold War uh, with some of our ambassadors uh, to Russia, um, documented information you can find easily on the Internet. Well, you know, again, the frequency is what mattered not the intention although I suppose in a sense if you're creating a pattern that is intended to hurt someone your intention is in that pattern again moving on Ted wrote I was given a copy of your book choices and illusions for Christmas this year anyway I want you to know I really enjoyed the book Kelly wrote this about last week's spotlight Dr. Taylor, you are a true credit to humanity. We are almost cultured as a society to ask questions about God, and they are very perplexing. Is one life worth more than another, and so forth? This is what I love about your books. They challenge my core beliefs, and in doing so, it helps me to hold beliefs a lot lighter. Since I have been listening to your Intertalk recordings, I have been able to bring to awareness many beliefs I have held, that I have held that have held me back for years. Well, thank you, Kelly. Your words truly honor me. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine by emailing me at Eldon. That's E L D O N at EldonTaylor.com, 
or by joining me on Facebook. I love your comments there as well. We sincerely appreciate your comments and feedback, so keep it coming. Pretty please. Right, Ravinder? Pretty please. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Now to this week's show. Choices and illusions, or perhaps the illusion of choice and self-sabotage. You might ask, how are our choices connected to self-sabotaging behavior? You might also inquire as to what I meant by illusion of choice. Well, today's show, hopefully, will clarify that and much more as we delve deeper into the inner psyche and the question of free will. A recent study showed that the belief in free will is connected with a higher sense of happiness than for those who accept the more scientific view that free will is, and I quote once again, a grand illusion. It's easy to understand why that might be. After all, if there is no free will, then we are programmed by our past, and in that sense, it's a predetermined world that we live in, and we are but bouncing around between paddles like some ping-pong ball, thinking we have made a choice when indeed we're just running a program, or more accurately, being run by a program. But if that's the case, then the idea of self-sabotage is an illusion, because how can we be sabotaging ourselves when it's a program that's running us? Fair question. Let's begin to unravel all of this and see if we can come up with some useful understanding. To that end, Ravinder and I will be discussing these matters today. So, Rav, let's begin. I'm convinced that only free will will really have its programming. And that is, let me say that differently. The only way you're ever going to achieve free will is if you change the programming that's in your subconscious that is the program that's running you. Does that make sense to you? That does indeed. You oh. know, we we all am, act on automatic most of the time, and I think the only way to change it is to start looking inwards and asking yourself, why do I think this way? Is there another way? You have to ask questions of yourself. You have to question yourself. And I, I say that all the time. Okay, you know, there are some models about this that may be helpful. It's one thing to watch the brain lifetime and realize that this technician, as I said in the spotlight, actually knows what you're going to do before you do it. It's one thing. You know, that that to me is like mind-boggling. And it's quite another when you stop and you look at it, not from the inside out, but from the outside in. When we look from the outside in, you know, one of those models is what we call system one and system two thinking. So we get system one, and that's that's where most of us do 90, 95% of our thinking, and that's all automatic. You know, we don't, we're not really thinking. In fact, it's a perverse use of the word to call it thinking, because we are indeed on automatic. We don't stop to consider you know, what are the ramifications, what are the alternatives, etc., and so forth. Instead, we just do what we do automatically. System two, on the other hand, is that, that state where we do sit down. And as though we were trying to solve uh, a math problem, a, a complicated, you know, um, calculus expression... As though we were doing that, we actually weigh all of the variables that are involved. 
considering very carefully what it is that we believe, why we believe it, why we would behave in a certain way, why we would make a given choice, etc. and so forth. My question to you, question I ask lots of people, as you know, is how much of your life involves system two thinking? Probably too much. Too much? You're an exception then. The rule generally is I don't know the last time I did system two thinking. Oh, yeah. I My bad. I'm getting number one and number two muddled up. That was why. You're right. I mean, thinking about um, having original thoughts, doing things differently is really rare. Um, I, I work on it. It's one of those things that I work on constantly, but I'm your number one student, so I better be working on this stuff constantly. Um, but yeah, I'm con- I'm always trying to find the answers beneath, actually trying to find the real answers. So. so then if we look from the outside in, as we're saying, we have to recognize that in, in a very real sense, uh, we're not thinking at all. We are really just carrying out this program. So it's no wonder that the MRI tech can see what it is that we're going to decide because we're not really evaluating anything in the first place. We are responding to the conditioning that exists in our subconscious mind. Make sense? It does. That's fascinating, actually. Okay. Let's do this. Recently, you reread something in my book, Choices and Illusions, and I think I've set the stage for this one. Semantic priming. And, you know, semantic priming gets used in different ways. For some people, you know, sometimes I will use semantic priming to refer to the way you prime your self-talk. Okay? And our inner talk programs prime self-talk, so that is a form of semantic priming. But there's another form of semantic priming that's involved in our lives. And, And... in your reading, you discovered something or rediscovered something that's relevant to our discussion about semantic priming. Share that with us. It actually wasn't me reading it again. I actually had a customer call because he was having some problems in understanding what this particular piece was about. And I remember when you first wrote the piece and, you know, I, I've had to work at it a lot too. But there is this whole idea that... Um, all words have their own definitions and they have emotions attached to it and sometimes it's that it's that programming so you're not hearing the words anymore you're just hearing or you're reacting according to the emotions you're being triggered that's the in word these days um you know, it turned out that the customer that I was talking to did understand what it was about because he started commenting about a chat that he had seen on my Facebook page. Um, you know, I'm trying really hard to stay out of politics. I'm not going to go down that avenue other than to say that, you know, there is so much emotion um, invested in the in your in people's beliefs today, whether it's in one direction or the other direction, there is so much emotion there that they are they're not listening to the other side anymore. They're simply not hearing it. You can be using the same words, but it has different meanings out there. And so, if ever there was a time that you know this particular book is so vital, you know how you get out of that automatic thinking, how you can actually. 
how you can come up with your own ideas once again and you have to look at it so yeah if ever you want proof that people operate on automatic just have a political discussion with somebody on the other side and you'll realize today just because of the climate the, the way everything is right now it is so obviously apparent they're not hearing they're reacting on emotions they're taking a word and it means something totally different to one person than it does to the other so you know Korbazinski wrote a wonderful book many years ago called science and sanity and in in his book several hundred pages uh he demonstrated that semantics themselves have an emotional anchor and because they have an emotional anchor there is a semantic reaction to the way we use words Mm -hmm. they become bound in context like the analogy I use of spit you know the saliva in my mouth well I like that but the idea of spitting it in a glass and then drinking it back is vile okay it's the same thing but it has a different context and when individuals define the context differently they may use the same word but it doesn't have the same meaning Korbazinski says it is to be hoped that in the not too distant future and unfortunately he wrote this many years ago and it's not come to fruition some individuals in universities will awaken to the fact that language is a fundamental psychophysiological function of man psychophysiological not just a word not just a mental thing and that a scientific investigation of man and all his activities is a necessary pressing very promising and practical undertaking you know the undertaking hasn't been hasn't happened in universities it has happened among social scientists who would like to manipulate and maneuver and we have discussed that in the past as well. But it is, it is these anchors that inhibit our ability to even reason properly. All right, we've kind of gone over. We have a break that's due up. Following this short break, we'll be back to flesh out more of choices and illusions in this whole story that you might think of as just the heuristics of cognitive thinking whatever that's kind of a ooh, what is it that's an oxymoronic statement isn't it we'll flesh that out now we have a video for you in our chat room today discussing luck so if you're not already in the chat room get on over there just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat do please stay tuned we'll be right back you're listening to provocative enlightenment with elton taylor Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High Is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. 
Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting about choices and illusions and the all-new audio release of the New York Times bestseller. Uh, now, we usually ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some true significance to them. Music psychology, by now you know, is an interest of mine, and it's a field with research with practical relevance in many areas. Indeed, I posted today on Facebook, on my Facebook pages, um, a new study that shows an Alzheimer's patient, um, advanced stage, unable to walk without a walker, but when music is played, he can dance. He literally can remove the walker, walk, and dance. And then, you know, there are many studies that have shown that you can take somebody with serious cognitive impairment, that for all intent and purposes, would appear to be in a coma and play their music, and they wake up, they're alert, they answer questions, tell stories, they're fully back and in the moment for a while. The influence of music is something we're still trying to understand. But I just played Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World, and that is indeed one of my favorites. I do believe that our expectation, our perception creates the fabric of our lives and therefore if we expect beauty it's beauty that meets us if we expect or behold the world in awe it's an awesome world that we live in my thoughts anyway do you have any Ravinder? no i think so the the more you pay attention to to the good things in your life well then the more they'll appear and you and you can find good everywhere it doesn't matter you know what kind of day you're having you'll find something beautiful out there and that will lift your spirits and put good chemicals in your body and make everything else just better too so pay attention to the good stuff you know that's one of the messages that's in choices and 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 if i can i'm gonna i'll tell a little story 
we were in, our offices were in Las Vegas, my offices, when I first met you, and when you first came over, our offices, mm-hmm. okay? And you remember a client that was referred uh, to me because she was suicidal mm-hmm. and she had had all these different therapists and nothing had ever worked for her and, uh, you know, she'd had many incidents of self-abuse and... Uh, inflicting, you know, serious damage upon herself, a couple of attempted uh, suicides, as I indicated earlier. And when she came in and I looked at her intake sheets, uh, you know, the medical sheets that we used to have everybody fill out, Uh, we don't do that anymore, that's why I say used to, but uh, I saw that her first uh, therapist was none other than Milton Erickson. And, you know, I'm glad I saw that because as far as I was concerned, I, I, I remember thinking, well, if Milton Erickson couldn't help her, wh- what on earth am I supposed to do? Because in my mind, this psychiatrist, it's the father of NLP and so much more, um, walked on water. Sometimes, you know, serendipity, luck, hard work, coincidence, you know, what, what, Whatever we have a moment where we get a good idea. This is many, many years ago. And I sat there looking at the sheets and thought, I'm just going to convolute the model. And that's why I say this story fits today. Spotlight talked about it's not what we take from the world. It's what we give to the world. It gives us happiness and joy and, and defines us in so many other ways. So what I did with this young woman, if you recall, is I gave her homework. I decided I'd see her in what we call brief therapy, 10 10 weeks, over 10 weeks. And uh, it it was a cognitive approach. So, you know, her homework that first week was she had to get a diary and she had to do good deeds. And the first week she had to do at least one good deed a day. That is, she had to go to the aid of someone every single day. I'm trying to remember. I think it was three good deeds, not one, Mm -hmm. her first week. Okay, And at the end of the day, she had to record in her diary what the three were and reflect on how it made her feel and how it made the people that she helped, how it might have made them feel. And then close her eyes and go to sleep. So she was going to sleep on the feelings of how she had helped other people. Week two, we increased it. Uh, We got it up to where it was five or six. I don't recall now. I'd have to look at the file. Good deeds that she had to do every single day. And she recorded them faithfully and brought her diary in every week. By the end of ten weeks... She was off of a lot of the medication, and I followed her, and her psychiatrist eventually took her off of all medication. She was a changed person. Her situation was she didn't believe that she was worth anything. She didn't deserve to even live. She deserved to be punished. The absence of self-esteem in its extreme. Many people today are unhappy about this, that, or the other, and they're looking to get something to make them happy when the secret is what this client learned. 
It's when you give to others. It's when you go to the aid of another person. It's when you help someone that fills you from inside. It's when you realize your life makes a difference. It really makes a difference. It doesn't make a difference because you're a shoemaker or you repair washing machines or an auto mechanic or an attorney. Or a, What makes a difference is how you help other people. And if, you know, this is something else I've learned. If you're a plumber and you're just there to get your money, you know, get in and get out, well, you're probably not a good plumber because a good plumber's there to help you solve a problem. And when they treat everything they do as though they are helping you, they are legitimately, honestly serving you. You may be paying for it, but they're doing their very best to solve your problem, to help you. Then you have a good plumber. Then you have a good doctor. Then you have a good mechanic. Then you have a good anything and everything that you deal with in life. And that's what fills us with this stuff people call self-esteem. It isn't about, you know, trophies. It's about what I give. It isn't about the clothes I wear, the car I drive. It's about what I was able to give. That's what defines a difference in who we are. And that's what I mean by convoluting the model. Okay, that was a totally unplanned story. Just kind of seemed to fit. Let's do this. You told me that when you listened to the new audio version of Choices, despite the fact that you had read the book several times during the editing process, that you discovered something new. Flesh that out for us. Yeah, actually, it's, yeah. I mean, I'm a very practical person, you know. Um, I am incredibly busy. We've got kids. I've got the animals. I've got work. I've got da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So with choices, you know, when the book first came out, I read the book about 20 times. It was part of my job. But, you know, I mean, I totally enjoyed the book. The first time I read that book, I remember, you know, um, I jumped on the phone to call you and said, this is the best thing I have ever, it's the best thing you've ever written, it's the best thing I've ever read, this has total value, you know, it surprised me, I'm sorry honey, but it surprised me how good it was, and I I was in shock, but I read the book, you know, through all the editing processes, you know, at, at least 20 times, so when we decided to do the audio version of the book, well, I'm really familiar with all the material, but I discovered there's a whole different process. When you hear something, it goes in at a different level. And the reason why I said at the beginning, you know, I'm a really busy person, you know, I I don't have time. I have goals. I have things that I want to do. You know, I always want to spend a certain amount of time every day working on my spiritual progress. I want to work on discovering who I really am, the the real me, not the programmed me. Um, I want to spend time questioning myself, all of that kind of stuff. But it's it can be hard to remember all of that. So one of the things, um, you know, this actually has the two-pronged solution that goes on here. In hearing the audio version, I, just, I heard things differently. It does work to remind me. Um, but on the, the other side of it too is just how busy I am trying to squeeze this stuff in and keep it to the front of my mind. Well, the wonderful advantage of the audiobook is I for me th- these days I do it when I'm cooking dinner at night so I just play something 
you know, so I can make constructive use of time. And for, you know, there was a time we were driving the kids to school all all the time, you know. What a fabulous way to be constructive, to keep yourself on track, to remind yourself, you know, to hear these stories. And when you, you, when you hear it, you just intake the information differently. So, no, I was really surprised. I would have thought that editing the audio for the book would be a bit of a chore for me, and it wasn't. It was... Mikhail Waters, who did the um, the narration on the book, he did a fabulous job. So it's really easy to l- listen to. But yeah, I was learning constantly as I was reading it. And now, when I look back, you know, for me, choices and illusions has been has been a process since you first wrote it, and then it came out, and then it became a New York Times bestseller. And we've talked about it. It's been an ongoing process for me, but I can really look back at my own life and see all the differences. You know, the subtitle for the book is, um, how did I get where I am and how do I get where I want to be? Well, I can see that has been actioned in my life. You know, you do have all the information in there and all the techniques I use all the time and I learn something constantly, just like the stuff on the semantic priming, you know. Yeah, our emotions totally color how we interpret things. So now, rather than reacting on automatic when someone says something that my automatic reaction can be, you know, have a hostile response to it, it's like, no, maybe that's not what they meant. Maybe, you know, I should hear the words again in my mind. I play them over again. So, no, it has been a definite process. But with the audio version of the book, if you've read the book, you know, you're already aware that it's a fabulous book. But I would say get the audio version as well, simply because you will intake it differently. Um, and you can maximize all of that dead time that you can have in your, your life, you know, when you're doing basic chores or when you're driving, uh, you know. So make the most of it. And, uh if you haven't read the book, I would highly recommend it. I can see my own life. It's night and day from where I was, you know, when it first came out. So, yeah, it it, it surprised me, absolutely surprised me, but it's fabulous. All right. Well, s- since you've gone through that, and right now we have this big audio launch uh, of the audio program, or big, you know, launch of it. Explain that to everybody and tell them what that is. We are. We have a special launch because it it's only just been released, and so we're all excited about it, and I want everyone to go get it. To get more information about the launch, um, you can either go to provocativeenlightenment.com or to eldentaylor.com. Both of those sites will have this uh, this special offer featured uh, pretty high on it. Um, you, you've been on a big blog tour for this launch so you've been answering questions and there's been articles published all over the place and you're doing a whole bunch of radio interviews around this Um, but what we're also offering in this launch is the ability for you to choose your own customized inner talk library a $500 value and you can sign up for you know enter the drawing to win that Um, it you know we've talked all of this time about reprogramming your thinking um, and inner talk is the patented and proven technology that, that we work with and we have titles for everything from relationships to health to education to spirituality I use the programs myself all the time so getting your own customized library you know you just sit back and decide what it is that you want to do or what areas it 
of your own life that you want to work on and that you want to change and then you can choose from over 300 t titles that we have and yeah I think that that's a fabulous do so go to as I said either provocativeenlightenment.com or eldentaylor.com and click on the choices and illusions uh, button there and that'll take you in you'll see information about the book where you can buy the book and how to enter the drawing as well now you keep saying book but you also mean the book and the audio yes sorry and or. it's habit and or and I mean I would I would suggest get both. You know, if I can get something new out of the book, when I have read the book, I have lived the book for a few years now. I have you know, I've processed it, and I still got something more out of it. And, uh, yep, it's that. How high is up? So how much higher can I go? Okay, Audible, I noticed, has it free. If you uh, go to Audible's page, if you join Audible, you can get the book free. Yep, you can. Okay, you know... We kind of got things out of uh, plan, <laughs> and with a few minutes we have left, since you keep boasting about the book, I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, dear. Okay. Everything that's involved in the book, what was the most important thing you took out of it? Um, you know, I think there are se several parts of it. There is a story, you know, it comes from... Um, your thoughts aren't your own and it explains why it explains how you can change your own thinking it explains to you what you can do how much more you can do how important your beliefs are and when your beliefs are supporting your goals well then the sky becomes the limit and it's never too late you have a, a whole chapter on that it's never too late and that I think is really important because it's easy to say, you know, oh, it's easy for kids to do that. They've got all the time in the world, Bob de Bar. No, you can always you can always make the changes, and that's one of the best parts of my job. Is you know when I'm talking to people on the phone, and there are people in their 60s, 70s, 80s who have had a particular issue, and they finally found a solution to it, and the joy that they feel, you know, when you have your, I mean, problems to somebody else, your problems might not seem that important but to you they are to to each of us our own problems are important and finding a solution to that can just open up new horizons so it is the it's the complete story you know when you i'm just going to pick up on it's never too late i was at a ceu not long ago as you know and it was it was a neuroscientist that was uh, facilitating it. It was all about the latest neuroscience and what we had discovered, you know, using the latest technology to watch the brain do everything, all right? And there were two concluding remarks that came out of this all-day presentation. The first one was, you absolutely can change. It's not just a matter of it's never too late. You can change not just, you know, your attitude, your beliefs, your thought. You can make physiological change. You can change the brain. You can increase gray matter. You, you can rewire how it's processed. The amazing breakthroughs that demonstrate, you know, this mind-body connection, this psychoneuroimmunology idea of how we can heal ourselves. It was terribly exciting. But the second point, and the most important point, 
You can only change what you believe you can change. Let's say that again. You can only change what you believe you can change. You know, I close every radio show with, remember, believing in yourself always matters. And I'm going to tell you what, that's not just a slogan. That's just not a model. That's just not, you know, a part of our trademark, intertalk trademark. That's a fact. If you believe in yourself, if you can convince yourself that you are the things or have the things that you you desire in your life, then you can create them. And that's, you know, the pure and simple fact is research on our belief system shows us that the placebo, you just did an article on the placebo. Mm-hmm. The placebo effect itself can be more powerful than any drug in the world. You, you can be the individual that you cited in your recent newsletter who is so disabled by cancer that he's, he's, he's ready to go to the hospice. His physicians are ready to send him. He gets into a new experimental program. He's given a drug that he's told will absolutely cure him. It was really tough for him to get into it, but he knew it would heal him. And bang, he's healed. He's up dancing. He's chasing the nurses. It's unbelievable. He finds out the drug isn't working in the trials, and immediately his cancer returns. His physician suspects there's a placebo factor going on, so he tells him he's got a stronger, yet even stronger version of this drug that has been very successful. He gives it to the man, and the man is healed. I'm not making this up. This is a true case. And then he reads in the paper that this drug absolutely has no value where cancer is concerned, and he dies. Suddenly he has his cancer again and dies. I'm going to say to you again, you can change anything. This, is, this isn't New Age baffle gab. This is neuroscience talking. But you can only change what you believe you can change. I'm afraid we're out of time. Ravinder, have you got a last comment? you got about 30 seconds. Only that I highly recommend Choices and Illusions. It's changed my life. I hear from people all the time how much it is changing theirs. Um, yeah, go get it. It will open up new worlds for you. Go to eldentaylor.com. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. And thank you, Ravinder, for your comments, your input, and for co-hosting this show. You make it so much more fun. That pretty smile of yours just gives me daylight in the darkest of nights. I hope you enjoyed our show, all of you, and will join us again next week, same time, same place, and do tell your friends. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.